Welcome to another adventure of the Halftone Effect. Welcome back to another issue of The Halftone Effect. I'm your host, Kieran Jack, and tonight's guest really doesn't need an introduction. He has been on the indie comic scene for the last three decades. Uh, he is a co-creator of the comic Green Your Pastures. He has gone on to help establish uh, the Ledger Awards and work within the comic book uh, convention circuit. And he is more recently had his work published in Adventures Illustrated, which is Greener Pastures have been brought back into it. So without further ado, I would like to welcome tonight's guest, Tim McNewen. Tim, thanks for joining in. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's great. You are, um, like I was saying, you are a, um, you're a pioneer of the Australian industry, as I see it. And um, I know a lot of people out there talk about your work and what you've contributed to the Aussie community in comic books and the creation of comic books. So uh, I tip my hat to you there, sir. It's, uh, it's great to have you finally on the show. Um, we're going to jump straight into it. We're going to talk about comic books. We're going to talk about your work. We're going to talk about everything that you've been a part of over the last few years. Um, but I want to know straight off the bat, what got you started into comic books? Where did it all begin for you? Uh, I, I can't actually remember. Uh, it, it's not like... I, I really get envious of a lot of the stories I hear when you, when people like you ask this question and people go, mm-hmm. oh, my dad had a suitcase full and he handed them to me. And, and we didn't have any in our house um, so I think I was begrudgingly given some at some point, um, probably just to shut me up or something. But um, I, can, I can remember being really, really young uh, and sitting on the floor. Like my, my parents were painting the unit. We, we were in a unit and my parents were painting the unit. I can remember sitting in this empty room where they were painting and, and having a, a pile or not even a, not a stack, not a pile, like four or five comics. I can remember... I don't know how old I was, but I was really young, maybe even preschool, probably uh, maybe a little bit after that. But it, it, I had like a um, those black and white uh, Marvel reprints that Newton Comics did uh, okay. in the 70s, early 70s. And um, I can remember having uh, an Avengers and a Doctor Strange and, and like I've said this um, before in interviews, but I can remember it already being my collection. This was my collection. Like, and I didn't know anything at that age. You don't know anything about what comic collecting means, but I knew this was yep. the comics I had, and it was only the beginning, and I was going to have more, and that was the start. I've still got them, and they're not worth wow. any money. They've been read to death, and they've been coloured in with textures and, and coloured pencils. So. I look, I, look, yes. I, look, I look at these people who are collecting Australian reprinted comics, comics, and they're going for more and more and hundreds of dollars, and I can't believe it. I go, great, I've actually got some of those, and they're worthless because I read them to death, and I coloured them in, and uh, maybe if I'm you know, world famous one day, they'll be worth more because they were coloured in by six-year-old Tim McEwen, but... <laughs> At this point, no. <laughs> you, you've added value to them right there. Um, yeah, that, that's interesting. I, I, I think the value of a comic is not the value of it in its after sale. I think it's the value of how many times you read it. Because yeah. I personally, am, I'm the same. Like, 
I don't have a lot of the comics that I had as a kid because I read them to death. Like, they were falling yeah. apart. So, like, yeah. years later, it's about getting them back into my life so I can reread them and kind of cherish them. But yeah. I love that. I love the fact that you had them and you've still, you've still got them. So that's, that's something special as well. Those old Newton comics had a colour poster in the centre, pull-out mm-hmm. poster. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yep. So I obviously pulled out all the posters and they were on my walls for years going yellow and having blue tack oily marks in the corners. And I think at one point after I'd finally started taking posters off the wall, I think at one point I tried to put them back into the right comics, like not staple them back in, but just like at that point I was realising probably shouldn't have pulled these things apart and so at least i'll keep them in the right place but so many of my comics just held together by you know sticky tape and um have had bits cut out yeah you sound like a pure comic book uh, creator with the, the with that story just there. It sounds like a lot of people we have on the show, and they're very much of the same mindset. It, it ain't about collecting them. We ain't like uh, like the people who are in it for a quick fix. We are the ones that are c- collecting them, but they're deteriorating in front of us as we hope them back up. The term collecting seems to get a bad rap, and mm. I definitely collected them, but but not not like you said, not to flip them or I, mm. I don't know if I'll ever sell any of them because the ones I like are the ones that are worth the money and will I'll never sell them. And the ones mm-hmm. that I don't like are the ones that aren't worth any money anyway. So, you know, it's not worth selling them. But I'm, like I'm, they're all sitting right here to my left. Yeah. Just, just about all of them are here um, in boxes. So, yeah. Awesome. That's great. I love to hear that. I love to hear that there's a there's an element to it that it's not just about um, collecting and it's about reading it and cherishing those those moments you have with them. And do you want to hear about my to read pile? I, like I, I hear you know people going, "Oh my to read pile! I'll never get my to read pile." You want to know how old my to read pile is? I I paused my comic reading when I did the HSC, so that was like 20, 30 years ago. How old am I? It's over, oh, so well over 30 years ago. Uh, and I've never caught up with it since. Like, the, my, my to read pile did this for a while, bigger and smaller, bigger and smaller. But then at one point it just blew out and it's now so huge. It's it's around the house in different places because I don't know where to stack it anymore. But <laughs> I'm telling you, if you're young enough, get on top of that to read pile because you never will if you don't write now. I feel your pain, probably not to that extent, but uh, I definitely feel your pain. The to read pile does become a bit of a, a problem when you become, especially when you become a creator. Uh, yeah. You just kind of have to deviate how you spend your time, and unfortunately, creating comics is probably the more important side of it than actually going through that read pile. You know, and we still we still spend our money on it. Um, you know, month in, month out with our pull list. I've just been thinking lately <laughs> that, that I haven't been reading enough comics. Mm while I'm creating, uh, mm. as, in, as in I've gone too long right now without reading some really good, well-made comics to make mm. sure that mm. when I'm sitting down doing my thumbnails uh, and my inking or whatever, that uh, I've got the right input happening as well. Mm. So um, it's actually, it feels like um, a, a leisure activity but it, when you're a creator, but it's not really. you. I feel like you need to continue to look at new things and innovations yep. and, and the, and the old standards as well. Um, and, 
if you want to be creating well. And maybe it's also because I, I haven't been creating non-stop enough lately either. So like all of this stopping and starting of both the in, input and the output, I feel like I need to get some more input at the moment. Well, I hope you can jump into this. There's actually some really cool uh, titles getting around at the moment um, from my pool list that I've got sitting here looking at me right now. Like they're giving me the eye, the guilty, guilty eye that I should be reading them as well. So yeah. I, I would highly recommend Tim to to jump out there and have a look, jump into your uh, your local store and uh, check them out because there's some really cool comics out there at the moment. Um, but we'll, we'll, we won't stray too far into that. We'll talk about, we'll dive into your work. Um, I. You know, I've talked to you a few times and I've come to understand where you came from and getting involved in the comics, but I really wanted to dive into an art and talk to you about how you really did get started for people who are listening um, and how it all began for you after the, you know, reading comics for so long. Um, I, I just drew, I drew all the time and I, I, I guess, you know, like a lot of kids do, I just drew all the time uh, and I guess um, because... I was also like fully immersed in comics that obviously that's what I felt like drawing. Mm. Um, but you know, there's a point, I think there's a point where you decide, am I, am I drawing in a comic book style or am I telling stories uh, in the comic book form? And I think they're mm. very different things. Um, so definitely at a point I, I was uh, not necessarily consciously, but I was thinking I want to make comics, not just I want to draw or I want to draw in that kind of style. I want to actually make comics. Mm -hmm. um so again it just goes all the way back um my mum is is kind of cleaning out her house a little bit at the moment and um i'm hoping she might come across some old drawings of mine because i i want to i actually am really interested to see how far back sequential drawings were in my drawings as a kid um yep. I, I, I often told stories pictures were often there was a backstory to it there was a reason for drawing it and something had happened before and something was going to happen afterwards but i can't remember how far back sequentially i go like how much how far back doing sequentials goes for me um but uh so well yeah so i've, I've always drawn and then there was definitely a point at which i started drawing sequential stuff um and then at that point it, it i think i was already old enough to realize there's it's it's okay to be drawing comics, but isn't the end product um, somebody reading it rather than just me making it? And how do I get it out there? How was it published? How was it produced? Um, so my my earliest printed comics, I I was in year ten at school, um, and I uh, I saw an, an ad in the paper. This is back when newspapers were a thing, and you would look at ads in the newspaper because I would look at for the ads every week. I would look for people who were selling comics. Um, I would look if there was any comic things happening, like in the classifieds. It was it's so it's it's so ridiculously nostalgic when I think of that. But um, but there was an ad where they were going, we need uh, young people to um, contribute to this youth newspaper that we're creating. So I contacted them. I said I draw cartoons, and comics. Do you want some comics? And they said yeah. So this was for a local paper. It wasn't my local paper. It was because mm -hmm. I'm. I was in the like the inner west of Sydney, and this was the the northern suburbs of Sydney. Um, but they didn't have anybody else drawing for them, so it was me. <laughs> so I did two comic strips for them, and I did a few dozen um, uh, spot illustrations per issue for I don't know I can't remember now four six issues something like that. So that was my first time of, of actually getting published like that. Um, and so I kept on trying to find where I could be published. So 
my my university newspaper uh, was was another one of it was one of the first times I collaborated with somebody. It was really really funny. He this guy uh, who I'm still in contact with every so often. Uh, he he wrote and drew this comic strip called Captain Swing. And it was about you know life on campus, and it was this cool guy wearing a bike helmet, and he had ray guns, and he was Captain Swing, and he was the liberator of the students, etc. Uh, it was it was pretty funny, but it was terribly drawn because he wasn't an artist. He was he was studying journalism and, and marketing and writing, uh, and and I thought to myself, well, that's terrible. I could do, I mean, I could obviously do better than that. So I I walked up to the offices of the newspapers called the Parrot, I walked up to the offices of the Parrot. I said, this is terrible. Like, how rude am I? I walked up, I said, this is terrible. I could draw this for you. And they went, cool, let's do that. And so, you know, Alan Jones and I, not that <laughs> Alan Jones, and I uh, collaborated on like maybe a dozen of these as well. And we did like little strips and we did like full page, you know, really huge strips as well. And uh, again, lots of spot illustrations for that newspaper. But um, yeah, that was one of the first times I collaborated. So I, I just continually look for, for places to, um, uh, to to get published. So shall I keep going? Yeah, more. definitely. Oh, I'm intrigued listening to this story. This is, right. this is phenomenal stuff. So, so uh, a little bit prior to that, um, there, were, there weren't very many comic conventions. Uh, in Sydney, there weren't many. I know in Melbourne, there seemed to be a lot. I, I, I don't have a good handle on the exact history on comic conventions in this country, but I know there were there were like a few really old style, old fashioned comic conventions uh, in Melbourne, and we we didn't really have that many in Sydney. And then somebody was going to put one on at the Opera House. Um, you've probably heard of heard about it. The invited guests were Stan Lee, Jim Steranko, Will Eisner, uh, and France Cantor. Um, so everybody knows who Stan Lee is, and Will Eisner is like the godfather of comics. Uh, the yep. Eisners, and Jim Steranko is one of my all-time favorite artists ever. He's just amazing. And, and when I talk about innovation and looking uh, at your old comics for what was being innovated then, he's one of the people you have to go to. Or well, both of them are obviously Eisner and Steranko. Uh, and Franz Cantor is an Australian cartoonist uh, who you still will see at Australian comic conventions uh, selling artworks and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I went to the convention uh, as uh, as it went down in, in history. Stanley never turned up. Uh, rumor has it that he was never actually going to turn up. But anyway, who knows? But Steranko and Eisner were there, which was incredible, and obviously Francis. Wow. Um, but I sat at, during one of the panels uh, in the in the crowd. I went by myself. I didn't have any friends who were into comics. Um, and I was, this was at the end of year 12, right? So I think this was the summer holidays just after we finished high school. Um, and uh, I was sitting in the crowd and another fellow sat next to me and we just started to chat and we, we made friends and he had just finished high school as well. Uh, and he's Michael Michelandos and that's the guy that I now make greener pastures with. So that's how long we've known each other since, uh, mm -hmm. you know, just finishing high school. Wow. Um, and that was just, you know, we, we, we made friends. He had a camera. I didn't, but I worked in a camera shop. So he brought me to film and I had it developed and printed for free. And I said, can I have some copies? And, you know, we, we had each other's phone numbers and that was about it. And then at, at, at one point, um, and I, at one point, <laughs> I, I, was I was standing in, is this right or am I getting some of the, the, the details mixed up? I don't know. So my, so I, I started I started. We wanted to make comics. It was, it was months later, and I just contacted Mike, and I said, you know, do you want to write some comics, and I'll draw them. 
right? So mm. we did a few shorts together. Um, I, I was halfway through drawing one where uh, the story was Harry Houdini's in a in a barrel going over Niagara Falls, and I was drawing it on really expensive paper, and I lost it on the train, and never decided never to draw that again, and so all of these things. But we did a couple of shorts that were published uh, in uh, in small press here in Australia, um, and then while he was at university, his uni paper said, you know, uh, anybody want to do comics? Um, and he said he would do one, and he asked me if, if I would like to contribute, even though I don't go to the uni, I could draw it, and he'd write it. And that's where Greener Pastures came from. We tried to wow. think of a, a university situation uh, and trying to be as uh, original as possible. Um, we didn't want to do superheroes. My style didn't didn't really suit that, Doesn't never did. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I don't think Michael was that interested in writing superheroes either. Uh, and we went... We went through a few um, different ideas that really didn't, they, they weren't very new, they weren't very unique, uh, mm -hmm. kind of cliche. And I was on a, I, I, while we were trying to figure something out, I had actually gone on a holiday with some friends um, and we, we were on a farm, a farm stay. Uh, and one morning the farmer um, took us for a four-wheel drive around the farm to show us what the farm does, you know, beyond the fact that he has a couple of cottages that he rents out. Um, so he's showing us the, the sheep and the cattle and he's, you know, we're driving past the cattle and the cattle are doing nothing, just sitting in the, um, uh, in the paddocks. I go, what, is, what are they doing? What do they do all day? And he said, so you see those cows over there, those, that cat, those cattle over there, right? So this morning they were over there and now they're over there. That's what they do. <laughs> I went, wow, that's a pretty boring life. And it's one of those things where the, where the first, whatever it is, eight pages of the original issue of Greener Pastures, number yep. one, it came to me in a flash right there and then. And I thought, that's a good idea. I took that back to Mike and I said, mm -hmm. how about this starting point? And, and Mike is really great once you give him the spark. Uh, mm -hmm. He really likes to, to be, to be uh, you know, given a little um, spark to begin with and then he runs with it. So I gave him that spark. And I don't know how long it was later, only like a week or something later, a very short time later, uh, he sent me a, a synopsis of the entire Greener Pastures story. Um, and, and I'm pretty sure I still got it in a, in a, um, a box in the garage somewhere. Uh, this is back in the day where I, there was no emails, um, but he would have typed it out on his little uh, Mac 2 or something, his little, you know, boxy Mac 2, and printed it out on his dot matrix printer <laughs> and given that to me. I'm pretty sure I still got that dot matrix printout wow. somewhere. Um, and it, and it's, it's the whole story. It's only a few paragraphs long, so it's obviously mm. not in, much, in full detail, but the whole concept was there. Um, so we started to do the comic strip um, for the paper uh, and... We, he must have been he must have been a couple of years in already because we only were in the paper for a year and then he mm -hmm. um, graduated so we couldn't do that anymore. Uh, we both went to Europe together with our then girlfriends, now wives, um, and uh, we, we were in Greece together and then uh, we went to, across Europe towards London and he stayed in Greece for a while and et cetera and so forth. So we were mm -hmm. away for a year. And, um, and while we were away... An American, uh, an American uh, comic book wanted to print them. I'd, I'd sent them a fan letter with a copy and they printed the one strip and they wanted to print the whole lot. And So yeah. it felt like it was been a good story. And mm -hmm. I wrote to Mike and I said, we need, to, um, we need to restart this, but as a proper book, let's 
self-published. This was the black and white publishing uh, era. You know, there was um, Cerebus and Hepcats and uh, uh, Jeff Smith's Bone, uh, Star Child. What else was there? A Distant Soil, a whole bunch of, you know, black and white things. Um, mm. And I felt like we, we could be like that. So mm. I said, we need to rewrite this as a proper book, not as a, as a comic strip. It was like a, a newspaper, Sunday newspaper strip size. Um, and he said he had the exact same idea and he was about to tell me the same thing. So, you know, we both had the same idea at the same time. So uh, he uh, re-scripted it uh, and that's when we started self-publishing Greener Pastures in the 90s. That's a legendary tale in, in history now. Um, I would love to, I honestly, and I'm saying this, I don't know if it's in the works in the future, but I would love to see um, those those pages that were like the conceptual idea of where it all started from. Maybe yeah. in, a, in the future, I don't know if that's in progress, who knows. But, yeah, um, I've, I've definitely got all my files, and I know the mm. files issue one have got um, all of the, the, the character sketches and um, actually must, uh, oh, no, that, that would be in the files for the for the strips because the, mm. there was more to the comic. Anyway, I know if they're in there. I, you know, when we moved into this house 12 years ago, mm. I know that they came with us, so they must be here somewhere. Wow. Wow. That's a story in itself. I mean, from where it's come, from where it is now, and it's still going, which is exciting. I mean, that's a huge journey, Tim. So that's a, you and Michael have put together such a history behind a comic. Um, I didn't, didn't realize there was such a long history behind it and how it started. Like, that's phenomenal. I mean, you know, you, as, as someone before they became myself, before I started doing comics, the, the, the effort we put into these these projects, people really don't understand the time and the strain, I guess, that goes into trying and getting it all formulated and ready. And it's just, it's, it's mind-boggling. And to hear your story tonight about the process into getting greener pastures made, wow. So I guess the question now is, now that all those things were kind of in play, what was the next step for you guys once you decided, let's go to print? Let's, oh, well, let's make this reality. Yeah, we didn't know anything else. Like, uh, <laughs> so I'm, a, I'm a graphic designer by trade or by, by training. Mm. Um, and uh, so I knew how to talk to printers. Um, I knew how pre-press worked and all of that kind of stuff. Very similar to you, Kieran, right? It's, yep. it's like those two things go, in, go hand in hand. Um, yeah. So, you know, we, we drew it. Um, uh, do you you draw digitally, right? You don't draw traditionally. No, no. Uh, so all my um, comic art, all my um, page art is all traditionally. Oh right. Um, and do you draw like one hundred percent of the final print? Yep. Yeah. Because that's yep. general. That's general knowledge, right? Most people know that. Well, I drew yep. the first issue of Green the Pastures at two hundred percent. It wouldn't even oh. fit on my little desk, right? I only had a little desk. I didn't have a drawing board. I was at two hundred percent, so it took me for, for bloody ever. So it was only wow. the one issue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, of course, you couldn't scan it. You know, scanners were extremely expensive, even like A four scanners, let alone trying to find an A three scanner. And this was being drawn at A two. So, uh, so it's a good thing I knew how to talk to printers because I, I actually, for for the entire run of of the original Greener Pastures, I was giving, I was handing over all the original art to the film makers to the you know the people who made the film and the plates um yep. and they were shooting directly from the original art um all, all except for issue four and a half which i, I told them i wasn't going to pay for the film because they obviously photocopied it 
before they shot the film and I could tell the degradation of quality. But anyway. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so, yeah, well, we, so we decided we would uh, print comics. There, there was some precursors. I mean, there was Cyclone Comics and um, I think Hairbutt was, was also already happening. Um, okay. And I can't remember. I really, oh, there was Issue 1. I was already involved mm. with Issue 1 comics. And they were already using printers. So there, there were a couple of printing houses around Sydney that were getting a, a name for being the right ones to go to. But more importantly, uh, they had already figured out how to um, organise distributions because this distribution was the, the big thing. Um, so back then you would print 10,000 copies of your comic uh, and give eight or 9,000 to Gordon and Gotch distributors and they would send them out to news agents across the country. Um, and that was how you would make your money back. Uh, hopefully, um, not via the conventions or the comic shops, but hopefully if you threw enough uh, newsprint into the newsagents, there would be enough sales that you would get your money back. Um, so that, that's, how, that's what we did. Um, you know, we, we scrounged enough money to pay for the first print run and then everything from there kind of just paid for the next print run, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. And it's a really, you know, it, it's, it, it's an interesting thing that, uh, it's, it's a really different way of operating now. The way that news yep. agencies don't do what they used to do back then, that, that you don't really buy comics in the news agent, although, you know, the Phantom might be turning that around again because, you know, they're doing a lot of really cool Australian stuff, which wasn't mm -hmm. happening when, when you know, in, before um, the new owners took over. So maybe it's turning around. I don't know. But you, in, in the back in the day, you would go to the newsagent. That's where I got all my comics from as a kid. Right? New, comic shops didn't exist, yeah, for, for a long time. Um, so, so we were kind of in that kind of groove. But more importantly, and this is something I've heard you talk about on the show as well, because, you know, <laughs> of, of, of your rural um, or, or, you know, not non-capital city living, right? Where do you yep. go to buy your comics? Um, <laughs> And so we were selling comics in country towns, like any country town, whether they had a comic shop or not, whether they were they were really big or really small. All news agents wanted comics because all, you know, play all communities had kids and kids read comics. So mm. um, we were selling comics all over the, the country in all sorts of places, and that that was really amazing. And it was only recently that. Uh, on Instagram, somebody who was following me and I was following back on Instagram messaged me on Instagram and said, "Look, I, I just want to tell you this because I've been I've been hold, it's been it's been inside me for however long you know twenty years or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I as I bought your comic in Country Town, whatever I can't remember what Country Town he came from, but he said, you know, as as the only gay person I knew in the entire Country Town to to buy a comic like Greener Pastures." And read it and have a character like Caesar in there who was uh, obviously gay or seemed to be gay or you know was the gay person there but wasn't being yep. played gayness wasn't wasn't being obviously tokenized he was just one of the guys mm. yep. um, he's, you, you don't know how big an impact that had on me as as a kid in the country town who felt like he must have been from out of space you know so um, the fact that we got We'd asked stories, and I, when I say we, I don't just mean me and Mike. I mean Platinum Grit and Bug and Stump and Issue One, and uh, you know mm. all of those. You know that we were getting our weird ass stories, you know, across the country into wow. you know country kids' heads was, you know, I think, really important. That's really hard to do that now. 
well, then again, you know, you've got the internet that's kind of supplanted that, and you know, I, I don't, I don't do web comics, um, but maybe I should so that I could be doing the same thing again. I don't know. It's a it's a different kettle of fish, I think, Tim. I think the world has definitely changed from back when it was using that that um, format, and um, I think I like to think that it's changed, but I also think that it's it's also something that I I miss. I think the the news agents having comics in there was always something that got me involved in comics as a child. And I think that now it's not as like rural areas don't have that kind of exposure. And yes, we do have the internet, but I think there's something gratifying about walking into a comic book and seeing, you know, comics there and quickly flicking through them and going, all right, I'm going to grab this one for, you know, however much it was back in the day. It's kind of, it's a, it's a lost, lost experience. Um, oh, my- Ever, I, I would, I would get a bicycle on a Saturday morning and ride up to the news agent, do my paper run for the news agent. You know, I was delivering papers at dawn, uh, mm. and then they would, they would pay me my money, and then I would do the circuit of the six uh, news agents that I knew uh, around my area. Like it, this would take hours, you know, because they weren't that close. But uh, mm-hmm. the ones I knew that would sell comics, and I would every Saturday just go to all of the co- all of the news agents around me, uh, hoping that there was going to be something new and interesting, um, probably from Marvel um, <laughs> that, that I could buy. It was the only way to buy comics until I discovered, you know, the one comic shop in Sydney that I knew about, and that, or finally discovered, and then I saw that there was another one, and then Kings opened, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 quite an experience. Um going through it all as a child then you got comic book stores that you first you, you yeah you walk in away and like this is just basically comics like wow okay and that's free for all you you know you've got a stack of comics that you're taking home for the first time it's like this is just insane um experience uh, it, 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 it is a uh it's kind of it is a lost experience and i i think that um you know i guess the internet is that format now and you know the likes of um, web comics and crowdfunding and all that have kind of changed the landscape for 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 a new world yeah um but yeah it's so interesting hearing you talk about that whole um different era of getting a comic book out um into the world and pushing it out with a with a uh, I guess that's publisher almost like you were just saying before. Yeah, we were still publishing back then. Yeah, yeah. Like you yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, dealing with that would have would have been a bit of a headache too. Like you are managing, you're still doing a certain amount of managing from um, your perspective. How was that overall? Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, that's that's definitely true. Uh, you would. You, we, uh, the other self-publishers, would mm-hmm. hassle Gordon and Gotch to make sure that they were, you know, actually putting the comics in news agents. You know, uh, comics and porn is what mm-hmm. the distributors would just use as filler. You know, they would obviously have to put in the Woman's Weekly and you know TV Week or whatever the stuff that people would really buy. Uh, but then mm-hmm. there was a quota of how many dollars worth of magazines would have to go into the news agent each individual news agent um yeah and when they reached uh you know when they finished with all of the real magazines and they go all right well then i guess we'll just make up the rest with porn and comics and sometimes it was not comics at all and the comics would stay in the warehouse like i i don't know if it, i don't think it ever happened to us but you know we heard, we heard stories of, of you know people going to the warehouse and going oh my god there's my palette of comics it's never been distributed um oh, no. so you know, 
huge trust. We we were the bottom of the run. We were below the porn, you know, because the porn probably sold better than we did. So yeah, <laughs> so we were we were the bottom rung, you know. And and trying to get the news agents to understand if this if this news agent sells every copy that we give them, give them twice as many next time. Mm. And they just wouldn't do that. In fact, that news agent maybe would get none next time, right? They would just put the comics in another news agent. So, yeah, it, trying to keep on top of that, trying to, to, to keep track of that. And then we were also trying to get our comics into the local shops. For a while, I ran a distribution service for Australian comics, um, distributing, you know, all of the names I just said to you and, and, and more. And, yeah, so I actually made a little catalog, obviously not the size of, of uh diamond previews but i would make a little catalog uh, and every time it was worth sending it out so every two months every four months whatever it was we would mail out a bunch of uh, a5 photocopied catalogs a little order form on the back to all of the comic shops and then two weeks later i'd ring up all the comic shops and say do you want to do an order or not and then they'd order stuff and we'd package them up my wife still remembers you know back back breaking work um, sitting on the on the uh, family room floor, boxing up all these comics, Greener Pastures and Platinum Grit and fucking stuff, mm. and everybody else's comics, and sending them out to comic shops, and, you know, and then going, "Will you please pay us now? Can we have our money?" And so yeah, it was very, you know, very hands-on, very DIY. Uh, and again, there there were uh, conventions. There was Oz Comic. No, there was Comic. Oh, what was it? It was OzCon. There was OzCon. Oz yeah, which was put on by King's Comics, the Sydney mm. comic shop. And that was on once a year, uh, but that was about it. Um, mm. So in between each convention, we, we wanted to keep the, the heat up and, you know, keep on selling the comics. So, yeah. Well, hearing you say that, it sounds like it hasn't changed much because I feel as though oh. I'm doing that every every time you get a race. You've got to – you are. you When you make independent comics, you are your own publisher, marketer, and distributor. So it's like – You've got to go through that rigmarole. I mean, granted, I'm not sending out as many as what you guys were, but it's the it's the effort you're putting, the the catalogs, you know, digital catalogs that we do now, and we send them out, and then you won't hear anything, and you'll try what, and. What I was trying to do, I was I was really trying to centralize it rather than yeah, me all the shops, and then Jason Paulus with um, Hairbutt contact contacting them all, and then Trudy from Platinum Grid contacting them all. You know. I, one person does it, they only have to pay one person, and then I would redistribute the money. And um, it, it actually, I think, helped to, to make it uh, easy enough that a lot more comic shops were starting to get interested. So, But the one bugbear, I don't know if this is still a thing here, and you tell me, uh, is, um, is the sale or return kind of policy, selling comics on consignment, where they'll say, yeah, I'll take 20 co copies, but we'll only pay you if we sell them. Um... Are you kidding I have, to, I have to outlay everything and mm. then are you going to, and then I have to ask you, did you sell them? And then you go, I don't know. Oh, let me go and see. And they go and count them. And are they telling me that they did sell them or not? Mm. You know, no, we didn't sell any. Is that because you just never put them out? And now you've got 20 of my comics that I can't sell to somebody else because they're under your footstool uh, you know, or whatever. So is that still a thing? Sell, sale and sale oh, return? It, I've been offered to have it and I, I've been unwilling to come to the table because I just don't see it as as affordable on both party side. Um, I think now what I see from from what we do with um, Halftone and what a lot of us are doing 
is that they are selling them off to the stores. It might be a smaller quantity, but they're pushing the marketing as well. Like they're really helping like push it forward and say, Hey, our books are at this store. You can go and pick them up here, here or here. Um, where it kind of creates that traction that hopefully the stores are selling them. And if they're selling, then they'll, they'll come back and buy more. Um, I've only had a couple that have said that, like they'll, you know, give us the books and then we'll pay you back once we, and that was where I was like, well, uh, you know, you're getting them for a discounted rate. Like let's, let's try and negotiate a, a better deal because, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go to your likes of, um, you know, if you were selling a record to JB Hi-Fi and say, they wouldn't say that to you, they'd pay you for that. So it's a kind of the same situation and it's not pay, fair on the creators. They pay six months in advance for their Marvel comics, you know, and they don't know if they're going to sell or not. And I'm going, oh, come on, don't be rude. Thank <laughs> so, you. Yeah, Thank you. <laughs> It was always a minority. I'm glad to hear it's still a minority. It's not mm. the, the minority of shops. Um, no, I totally. And- it's a hard sell, and where do you rack them, yep. and you know, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, um, yeah. Look, it, it's it's been pretty fortunate with us. We've got a lot in stores in Australia, and some in the states and UK as well, which we're very fortunate to have that. But um, what I really find is that if you can really push forward and help promote them for the store as well, whether it be going and doing an appearance there when it launches or just whenever you can, free comic book day or um, comic book store day, somehow try and involve yourself. And if you can reach there, not, you know, fly across the country to Western Australia or or uh, <laughs> Queensland, but to the extent that it doesn't kill you in your pocket and your effort um, to do that because, you know, at the end of the day, they do help promote them and get them out to a larger audience. Yeah, um, totally. And, you know, you have people come and tell you 20 years later that they read your comic book from a, from right. a news agent. So, I mean, that's 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 incredible. It's mind-boggling to hear that. Um, but that said, too, I, I've got a very funny feeling I did have first um, Greener Pastures as a young child that I probably destroyed from my local agents because I would grab whatever was in there. So um, it's very interesting. I, it, does bring back a lot of memories. So I'm wondering if it was one of the ones that I had that I'd probably destroyed in the back of my yeah. pocket. Um, but, it, I mean, that's that's the history of comics, man. It's just a matter of, um, you know, you think it would evolve in the sense of that, but if we're still doing all these same things that you guys were doing back in the day to promote it and to get it out to stores and just hustle. I guess we're always hustling. Yeah. yeah. And is, isn't that kind of the part of the charm of comics as well like it really hasn't mm. changed for i don't know nearly 100 years really you you have to draw it and then print it and then distribute it and then advertise it and hope it gets into the hands of people it's still same methodology so um, yeah yeah i don't think it will change i think the the you look at it like what um comicsology was i think it's had its time and it just really wow. didn't take off as much as it wanted it to um I personally was never interested in the digital format. I'm always tangible. I'd love to, I love having comics in my hand and reading them. That's the, the charm yeah. of it. Um, yeah, really. But that's, I mean, hearing you say that tonight, it, it's kind of comforting knowing that everything that we do right now is still being done. It's still, it was still being done back then too. So that's really cool. Um, well, we might jump on to uh, OzCon and talking about conventions because you obviously were part of those back in the 90s and you've been a part of it um, ever since. The transition over those years, how have you found the convention circuit and how it's changed here in Australia especially? You know, it's really interesting. So OzCon back in the day, 
when it, especially when it first started, uh, was was like one one of the early modern conventions. When, when I say really old classic comic conventions, they used to be held in a in a ho in a hotel um, like ballroom or something, very small, uh, very kind of niche and concentrated. And then when something like OzCon happened, uh, that was emulating the American conventions, which were starting to get bigger, proper convention booths, that kind of thing. So that's what we had at OzCon. Um, and there was no artist alley. I don't know if it just hadn't been invented yet or if Kings didn't uh, think to put that together for OzCon. So we had to buy a booth, uh, and they were um, discounted from what a retailer booth would cost. But it was still it was pretty expensive uh back in the day. So we all always shared with Platinum Grit. So Greener Pastures and Platinum Grit were always yep. had one half of a booth each. But people were coming and they wanted to buy comics. They were there to meet comic book creators, local and overseas. Um, they were there to buy comics. They were there to talk comics. Um, there was very little else part of it. It wasn't really until the last couple of OzCons that uh, trading cards were starting to become uh, a major part of it and POGs and stuff like that uh, starting to take over. And we thought that was an aberration. So imagine, you know, <laughs> compared to what a comic convention is like now. Um, but, you know, I, I can remember one of the later conventions that that Michael and I sat at our booth, uh, with no exaggeration. We sat at the booth from opening time to closing time with fans three deep the entire day coming to the booth, trying to buy a comic wow. and get a, get a, um, a sketch. Uh, we were selling so many comics at conventions; it was it was ridiculous. Now you you know it's like, hello, you want to buy a comic? <laughs> it's a comic convention, um, and that's what I miss. Like it was there was such a buzz. Uh, the first I never went to the first OzCon. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I couldn't believe it. There was no conventions in this country, and I go overseas, and then Kings say we're putting on a convention. <laughs> uh, so I was at the second Sydney uh, OzCon. And um, I, I helped the issue one comics stand that time. And it was a similar thing. There was such an energy. People were really, uh, you know, super stoked that there was Australian comics. Uh, and, you know, just the, the, the booths were always really busy. Mm. Um, and then I think from the third year onwards, we, we had a, a, a booth. So from I think it was seven all up. So from the third year onwards, we had a booth. Um, so yeah, it was always great fun. We just really loved it. Um, the only regret I have is that I I've, I did a million extremely poor head sketches of Trevor Bovis um, <laughs> during that time because we were usually so busy that I would just do that really quick, awful sketch. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I th there's a different sensibility now for We've sure. We've all done it. <laughs> We've all done it before. At comic conventions now, you expect a nice sketch. So that's what I do now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and it's fascinating to hear you talk about that, Tim. Like, it's just, I, 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 missed, I missed all that. So, like, to hear that, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall or been, you know, three deep lining up to get comic books like that. Um, that's just, yeah. it, seems, it seems like a, a missed opportunity for me personally. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was back in the day where it was it was kind of nice and and uh, like kind of intimate as well. It was really nice. We all went. There was one uh, I can't remember which one. I think it might have been the last one or the second last one. We went to uh, you know the local bar afterwards um, mm -hmm. to everyone was going to have a drink, uh, and Jim Lee was one of the international guests, and he came to the bar. 
Um, he, he had to go to something else that Kings was putting on uh, first, you know, uh, yeah. and obviously he does what the hosts ask him to do. He, he's a, mm -hmm. he's a, uh, um, uh, you know, he knows, he knows how to conduct himself. But he came to the bar afterwards because he wanted to hang out with us, which was cool. Um, and just as he arrived, the bar called Last Drinks. And he went, what? Are you kidding? Because I think it was Sunday night, I guess. I don't know. He's going, he said, mm. oh, my God. And he, and he looked around and he did a quick head count. And he went, two dozen beers. Like, pour two dozen beers right now. And he paid for two dozen beers or whatever it was so that we oh, could yeah. all so that I drink, but so that we could all have a beer, um, you know, on him, which was amazing. So wow. I, I know there were stories like that all the time now as well, mm. but like that was, they're, they're the kind of things that I thought were, were really cool back in the day as well. Dale, Dale Keon, Kuhn, you know, uh, the pit, he, he created the pit. Yep. Uh, he was a, he came out once and I didn't even meet him. He's one of my favorite artists and I didn't even meet him. We oh, were so no. busy so busy and maybe he was quiet and didn't come out afterwards i don't know but didn't even meet him i got far out that was three days or two days of comic convention one of my all-time favorite artists my favorite hulk artist and i didn't even i got like a a, a signature in a book and that was it it look it sometimes happens the conventions can be so busy and they can be so jam-packed with everything else you're trying to get done um you do miss out on meeting people i mean i've done it before at uh, conventions that i've been at it's funny you talk about the intimacy of it because what I found coming back from it in the whole world we've been living in the last two years is that I've done a couple of zine festivals in between it. And I actually got a real buzz out of being able to just, you know, just take it easy and not having to hustle and push the comics and being able to talk to people and talk to other creators and what they're doing. I mean, the last one I did was in Wagga and it was at a brewery. And we're drinking while we're doing it, so that that was another that, experience. That was the halfway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, halfway print festival. I had a table booked for that, and we had something here in Sydney I couldn't get out of, so I had to cancel it. Bummer. I was really, really keen to go. Yeah, yeah. It was it was fantastic. Um, I got to see some people from Melbourne that I hadn't seen for a while. Um, that I usually see them at the other festivals in Melbourne, and to catch up with them and have a beer and just you know shoot what they've been doing over the last two years it's, it was it was just a great weekend it was relaxed it was fun um you know sold a few comics got to talk to some people that have read the comics um previously and yeah and got to have a beer while we we're doing it so it was even yeah. better for that um yeah. and you know talk here you're talking about the conventions then it sounds like what a zine fest is now rather than you know, the, the conventions that we have now that are so intense um, that you've got to be on your A game to, you know, to push your material out to an audience so they don't yes. go and buy another pop action figure uh, <laughs> and buy and buy my comic instead. Yeah. Um, it's a conundrum. Um, that sounds, uh, it, it, it really does um, make me envious of you guys coming up in the ranks like that because I wish I could have been there making my comics then. Um, but, you know. That's time for you. Yeah, we do what we can now. Exactly, exactly. Um, now we've been, uh, whilst we've been talking about conventions, we've also been talking about your work. And I, you've actually, you know, come back out again, and you've been working on some comic books here and there. Um, Adventure Illustrated is more recently, you know, uh, issue one and issue two. I've got one right here. Yeah, um, it's a it's a thoroughly enjoyable read, and you have a. Uh, a section in it for y'all as well. Tell us a little bit about yeah. that. So, so uh, Adventure Illustrated, which is published by Cyclone Comics, which is Gary Chaloner. 
that was a bit of a dream come true for for me to to have uh, one of my all-time heroes, Gary Chaloner, say to me that he'd like my comics uh, in his anthology it was just mm -hmm. ridiculous. There was, um, I've told this story before, there was one point where I was looking through the PDF to proof it, you know, just before it goes to press, you know, and I started at the cover and I'm going through his story, looking at his story, reading his story, and then there's my pages and then there's another one of his stories. I'm going, this is not right. What? Why are my pages in this comic? This is ridiculous. Because uh, he's, like I said, he's one of my all-time heroes. I, I just mm. I love him to death and I'm so uh, lucky to have him as a friend as well. So, yeah, uh, the idea there is I'm working on new Greener Pastures uh, material. Mm -hmm. the Pastures always had an end. Like I said to you earlier, there was, you know, Michael had, had thought out this entire story and there was always an end and we stopped publishing uh well before the end um yeah and michael and i you know couldn't quite get our lives in sync again couldn't quite synchronize uh yeah to, to both be ready to to make comics again uh until just recently a few years ago i said i said there was one point where michael said look we're, we're not going to do this because uh i can't write those characters anymore that was that was the sensibility of you and I when we were at university and now we're, you know, we've got our own kids. Like, I don't think I can write that. And then, you know, funnily enough, I, I mentioned to you earlier that there was an American comic that, that uh, printed the old uh, newspaper strip version of, of Greener Pastures. That was called Hepcats. And he did a similar thing where he just kind of stopped publishing. And then like 20 years later, he just did a mini comic and he caught up with the characters 20 years later. No explanation wow. of what had happened in between. And all us fans, because I love Hepcats, uh, all us fans uh, were, you know, were really excited that that had come out. And I said to Mike, maybe we can do that. We were standing at, at, at an, uh, a supernova uh, in the middle of a floor with, you know, four or five other people just talking generally about stuff. And I said, Michael, how about we do this, where we just look at Trevor now, like when he's middle-aged like we are, Mm -hmm. where would he be? What would he be doing? And, and like this glaze went over Michael's eyes and his head tilted back a little bit and he looked up to the ceiling. I was looking at him and then I got caught up with another bit of the conversation for five minutes or so and I looked back at him and he hadn't moved. I said, you're writing it now, aren't you? And he said, yeah. So all of a sudden, again, we had this, we were gelling again and this was going to work. So he, he took what he knew what he wanted at the end of the story uh, and started to write it from Trevor, no longer as a university student, but as a middle-aged uh, solicitor, not very happy in his job. And what are we going to do about it? And then on top of it, Trevor's this minotaur, this bull. Nobody else is an animal. animal. Why, why does that work? And why does nobody un uh, recognize that in him? Uh, mm -hmm. And we better start answering those questions. So that's what the final story is. And then you bought Adventure Illustrated number one, right, which has the first 12 pages of that new story. And Trevor's yes. not even in those 12 pages. I know. I know. I was reading at the time. I'm like, this is coming. <laughs> Adventure coming. Illustrated. Yes, Adventure Illustrated number two uh, has got 12 pages of, I think, 10 of those 12 pages have Trevor and dialogue and, you know, actually things uh, that, that are so weird happening so uh we, we yeah it didn't disappoint 
by no means to disappoint. It was just like, uh, I was kind of like, Trevor's coming. He's, he's coming. Next page. He's coming. He's coming. And it was like, the, you know, then it, there was the explosion of the character on, you know, the, the TV screen. I'm like, oh, this is really good. And then I was, I was really getting into it. And then I was like, oh, wait, where's Trevor? There was no Trevor. What the hell? Yeah, um, so, yeah, I know. False advertising right there, guys. Yeah. Um, but it was still, it was still a little, uh, it was a great story nonetheless. Like it was enjoyable. Um, and I, I love the pacing of it and how it just kind of, you know, it was really based off the imagery and it was telling the story through that. Um, and I, I always do appreciate that, and especially in comics because we're a visual medium. Um, but yeah, it, it was really like, it was kind of a shock, but it was also a welcome shock. Yeah, um, so I look forward to reading part two with Trevor in it, with more Trevor. Yes. Yeah, and it's coming five percent more Trevor. Any moment now, yeah, that's right. Any moment now, yeah. So, uh, I, I did, you you back the the Kickstarter? Yes, yes, cool. yes. I think I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, right. I just, just too many. So, does that mean we're going to see more Greener Pastures as its own self-printed issues? In the future, or and until that, that I'm not 100 percent sure about yet. Or mm-hmm. I've got more pages. I keep on. I, I know that the listeners can't see us looking at each other, but like you can see me looking <laughs> over my all the time. And that's because that's where the latest pages are hanging up on my wall. Um, so every time I talk about it, I kind of look over at them. Ah, um, that's cool. So there are more. There are more pages there, and yeah, we need to get them printed. So. Um, there are actually really huge plans for 2023. I know we're only in April 22, um, but I'm kind of, um, if one thing in my experience has taught me, it's to to make sure that that I've got a backlog of pages before I start printing. So uh, there's, 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 Several plans, the really interesting plans that I'm hoping to pull off, um, which will start in uh, January next year. Um, but I'm spending this year putting those plans together. Um, so, so listeners, little peek behind the curtain. I kept on saying to Kieran, "Can we talk about this later? Can we talk about this later?" Uh, <laughs> because uh, I, I'm not somebody who wants to really like. I, I can't spill any beans now. Um, and I was hoping to spill beans, but I can't. So uh, you have to all keep your eyes peeled and your ears to the grindstone or whatever that is. And because um, eventually you'll you'll get the you'll get the skinny on it. But yeah, this year is a big planning year. Next year is a huge publishing year, and there'll be more I- there'll be more greener pastures next year than you probably have ever seen in any year previous, including the first couple of years that we were publishing. So there you go. Because I've been hearing about it for probably about, oh, I'd say about two months. <laughs> you talk about, it, talk about, it, talk about it. <laughs> I, I get it. I, I get it because, like, I've got Matt Kime on my back constantly at the moment with, uh, with the right follow-up to Wrath of the Curse, and he's harassing me to get it started. And he wanted to announce it. He wanted to tell him, like, I, I just, I'm just not there, man. I've got to, got to finish a couple other things first before we start spruiking it everywhere. So I can understand you know that we've got to try and s- separate the the projects that are upcoming from the projects that might be still in the works because yes. you can get You're too tough. excited and then it can all no no get excited so. bloody excited it's coming and you you're yep. gonna love it awesome 
I, I can't wait. So before you, because you put it on social media that you're talking about it in a group chat, and I'm like, he's doing it. He keeps teasing this idea, and I, I need to know. I need to know. So you, maybe when we finish, when we finish recording. I'm going to hassle you again. Uh, um, Do that. But that that that's that's awesome. Like that's that's great to hear that it's it's got a, a I guess a new lease on life, and it's it's going to continue in some way or form. Do we know how? No, we don't because you're keeping it secret. But it's it's exciting nonetheless. I'm excited. Um, Tim, you. thank you so much for coming on tonight. It's been an, an absolute pleasure having you on. I reckon we could have gone another hour at that. Um, I can't believe it took this long. How many how many episodes how many episodes are you up to now? Like two hundred? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, where are this will be a hundred and eight. Hundred eight. That's fantastic. Yes, it's it's uh, it's coming to a close by that you know who knows i might be doing 200 episodes this year if i keep going if everyone keeps trying to get in it's coming to a close maybe yeah maybe we'll see um it's the story that never ends but uh again tim thank you for coming on um for, for people who might not be familiar with your work where can they find you on the world wide web yeah okay so the probably the easiest place to find me is just on instagram it's tim McEwen is the name you look for t-i-m-m-c-e-w E-N, and um, that's just one word on Instagram. And then there's a link tree in my bio there that'll take you everywhere else. Um, but I'm on Owner Indie, so Aussies probably know about Owner Indie, so I'm at ownerindie.com slash Tim McEwen, I think, yeah. Um, and uh, I'm also, if you go uh, greenerpasturescomic.com.au, I can't remember now if it's got an AU or not, try them both. Um, but, yeah, there's, there'll be links there as well, so. There you go, guys. That's awesome. And go and check out Greener Pastures. Go and pick it up. Follow that link in his Instagram and go to Indie, own an Indie, sorry, and go and pick up some Greener Pastures, Adventure Illustrated. It's well worth the money. Um, and enjoy the read. Tim, once again, thank you for coming on tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, man. And we'll be back again next week with another issue of The Halftone Effect.